Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the podcast from the depths of darkness to the light of success. I am your host, Chris Swick. This podcast is proudly helped out by Tyson Green and what an amazing guy he is. Go give Puddle Shakers a follow on Instagram. It's a new business that he's starting up and stuff like that with a few other people. Great for the podcasting industry. They will brand your podcast, help you out with your sound and all that kind of stuff. But we're recording over here on Zencaster today. What an amazing software they have as well. But with no further ado, from New Mexico it's down to the U.S., Nico Maras. Want to take it away I'll a little bit. First so, of all, thank you for allowing me on your platform. Really do appreciate that. Uh, it's always great to interact with other individuals who have like minds. Like you said, though, from down south in New Mexico, born and raised in New Mexico is considered what's uh, called a frontier state. The uh, reason why we're considered a frontier state is, uh, on average, it takes about 60 minutes to get to a grocery store. I'm um, usually about 60 miles from uh, most of the state, I should say, is real rural. I live in Albuquerque. Most people affiliate that with uh, some TV show that was out here a while back around meth or something like that. I think it was called like Breaking Bad or something like that. Yeah, it's called like Breaking Bad? That is what, where I'm born and raised. That's the environment that I get to enjoy. New Mexico is great. New Mexico is great, man. I've had uh, a lot of enjoyments being here. But just like everywhere else, there's pros and cons to the state. We got beautiful people. We got beautiful culture. We got beautiful traditions and beautiful landscapes and just weather. But we also have a high poverty rate. We also have a low education level. Well, unfortunately, that mixture results in high crime rates and high substance use uh, disorders. I, shoot, Ed, I'm 31 years old now, and I started using drugs and alcohol probably about the age of 14 to cope with the trauma that happened to me as a kid. Started with cannabis. Actually, I started selling loose, loose cigarettes. Some of that trauma. Childhood abuse. Unfortunately, uh, I was taken advantage of as a kid before I could really protect myself or know what was going on. So uh, that abuse happened when I was about maybe 10 years old, I think, uh, sixth grade. I know that it was uh, right before school started, middle school. So that's the time frame that it happened. Our brains are so cool that uh, when something like that happens, it repressed it. I didn't know how to process these emotions. I didn't know how to process what happened to me. I didn't even know if I could tell anybody because yeah, you're just in that much shock. So my brain impressed it and all oh, the brain's a cool thing, Chris. I really enjoy understanding how it works. And I learned after the depths of darkness, I was with colleagues that my brain got triggered after the scent that I'd smelled when I was about 14 years old and all these memories just came flowing back. That trauma, it's took me a while to process, it took me a while to work through and it impacts a lot of different areas. As a male, we'll just start there, that type of trauma. How's you question a lot of different things? Your strength, your pride. Smell is that like, like trigger oh, that trauma. Somebody was wearing a similar cologne to the individual that I take advantage of. And that's, that was the trigger there. And then it just brought yeah. on all these, uh, the old, those old memories and stuff. And is that when you decided that, did you find drugs then or had you oh, already found drugs at that point? point actually, um, I was very much into athletics. I enjoyed wrestling my whole life. That was uh, my outlet for a lot of the things that uh, I had processed was getting physical and wrestling is one of, and is one of the oldest sports in the world. So I really enjoyed well, that time frame. I had been placed into a new environment, a new school. I was around a bunch of people that I didn't know. And with those type of memories just flooding in, I acted out. And for me, acting out was just being angry and violent and that drawn attention of individuals who were in that type of realm already. For that, what that means is, you know, those individuals who are gang members at the school that I was going to, 
And they took a shining to me and they put me under their wings and they're like, come on, you look pissed off. I can relate to you in some way where nobody else, at least none of the other athletes or other colleagues in school. I latched onto that relationship pretty strong because, you know, we like having tribes. We like having people that can relate to us. So they didn't know what had happened, but they could tell that I was angry and they were angry as well. Uh, never got into gangs at all. When I started seeing what they had to do, I was like, oh yeah. I'm cool on all that, but it was nice to just be around people. And that's when I got introduced to substances, uh, mainly cannabis. That's where I got started. And that was at age 14, probably by age 16, uh, 17, I had already started dabbling in pills. This was 2000, so graduated 2008. So this probably had been like 2004 to 2008. This time frame happened and that's when the pills really started hitting the market. Yeah. Xanax, Oxycontin, Hydrocontin. All of those. I've learned over time that my brain is very active. So for me, the ones that depressed me, cannabis, pills, the ones that slowed down my brain from all those thoughts, those are the ones that I really oh, got drawn to. And then what was it like for that first high? Were you just, were you all hands on deck after taking that first puff off the joint or hitting the bong, whatever it was you did and thought, man, this just feels great. This will get rid of all my feelings on a daily basis sort of thing. Because I know for myself, once I found that first high or that first drink, it was like all bets were off right from the get-go at 11 years old. And it was off to the races for me and gotcha. for, you know, 25 plus yeah. years. For me, it was more, oh, uh, great. I can feel like other people. That's what really attracted me to substances and drugs mainly. I wasn't too much of a big drinker until all my twenties, but when I was in my early teens, any type of drug I could get my hands on, I was about it because in my head, the way that I, I processed it was, I don't feel like everybody else. I don't think that I can relate to anybody else because of what I've been through. And this is a common ground. So using drugs, smoking weed, snort some pills, popping pills, snort cocaine, all that stuff went um, I was ingesting friends, associates, whatever they were ingesting too. In my head, that created a level playing field. Okay, we're using the same thing, so we're probably feeling the same thing. And I think that's what attracted me the most to, to drugs was being able to feel included all rather than the high became more of a, an escape towards my later years. And Chris, and by the time I was 18, I had already progressed to Oxycontin and I was getting supplied by a, you know, we're manipulative. I had a couple of people who had them prescribed to them and they preferred crack. So I would trade them crack for Oxycontin and then Oxycontin got revamped so she couldn't take off the skin anymore. And from there I turned to heroin and that heroin, that's where I uh, really felt that, that euphoric feeling of, yes, this is what I need. This is how I need to escape. This is where I need to, this is where I need to be for the rest of my life. And like you said, I thought it would solve problems day over day, just using it and it didn't. Yeah. For me, it only caused more problems, a life of self-destruction. I had a son really young and, but it still wasn't there. Having a son or a kid wasn't the fix for me. After his mother left, it just went on a downward spiral for 10 plus more years and then had a daughter in my thirties. And I still didn't fix it. When we split up, I split up with her mother. I thought the drugs were the solution at all times. And I was just causing destruction left, right, and center. You know what I mean? Like I thought all these people were my friends, but really they're not. I was, they were acquaintances at best, like you said. And 
but I, I, when I finally came to realize the problem was me, it was on, it was in me. The problem was on the inside. I had to work the problems that were on the inside of me and then begin to fix the outside. I stuff hear you, man. So, I hear you. And I think that's where we trick ourselves. Like you had said, oh, the fix is going to be, uh, drink to one of my buddies. The fix is going to be using with my buddies. And what I learned from coming out of those dens and those, uh, those benches is, yeah, we might've created an environment where we believed that everything was gone. But as soon as we left that environment and that feeling, the world smacked us back in the face and seemed like it had packed a little bit extra in their punch this time. So that was, uh, I was, I was a hard reality to, to, to take it as I'm sure that you had to take it too. We think we trick ourselves. Or I think a lot of times as individuals who struggle with mental health issues and substance use disorders, we can create these augmented realities. I, I call them. And we believe them. Yeah. We believe them so much that, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah false realities. Like we live in them. Yeah. Take us through that, you know, final day of no worries. Hello? I think you have to unmute. Yeah. So take us back to your final time using drugs that final day. What were your thoughts and like where? Where your thoughts and where were you at that day sort of thing? And what made you tick enough, mm, gotcha. enough for Nico? That comes in two different layers, Chris. I'm a pretty stubborn person. As I've shared with you, the first real major addiction that I experienced was to opiates. That subsided in 2012, June 13th to be exact. At that point in my life, graduated school, I had turned away uh, a scholarship for wrestling because I was just so angry and, and just pissed off at the world's and didn't like authority and had some other situations happen. So 18 to 20, I was just very self-destructive and shooting heroin, snorting coke, snorting Oxycontin all the time. I found myself in a situation where my mother had told me that I couldn't come to her house anymore. She took the key from me. Um, my father had also been pretty distant with me because of my addictions and my anger. So I was staying in my truck most of the time, pretty much homeless. So there's a couple places that I can go catch a quick shower, but I was living on the streets by the time I was 21 to 22, pretty much parking the truck, Walmart parking lots, crashing there. And at that point I had a real good friend. I will call him a friend because about 21 years old, I think. And he told me, Hey Nico, you can't come around my house either. Uh, you've been selling drugs to my cousins. You've been using, you can't, I can't have you around. So he asked me to not show up anymore. And we had lived together for a little bit. So I felt like he was a real good confidant. The last day that I had used Chris, I remember that I bought the sack of heroin. And by that time I had already robbed a couple of drug dealers and I had already burned a lot of bridges that I was going to different locations to get heroin. And the heroin that I was buying was really cut down, but it wasn't anything good. So I remember cooking up that on that spoon and I remember looking through it and it looked like water and there was nothing in there. And I remember so vividly that I had put in so much effort just to get the funds, just to get this half gram and to sit here and look at it. And I had been to a point at that point in my addiction that I was no longer using it to get high. I wasn't chasing that high anymore. I was using heroin just to stay well. And I had calibrated it so it was 60 cc's that I needed every couple hours. And I remember taking a moment and just thinking, shoot, you put in all this extra effort. You're not even going to get high this time. You're just not going to feel a little bit of the withdrawal feelings. 
And at that moment, that's when I realized you don't have family around. People who you consider friends, they don't want you around. What are you really doing with yourself? How are you really, is this how you want to conduct your life? The remaining part? And at that point, it was okay. No one's going to feel sorry for you anymore. No one needs to feel sorry for you. You're the one doing this damage to yourself. So you're the one that needs to get it. That day, I remember I did end up using because oh my addict. So I remember shooting that, that sack up, but I didn't get high. I remember missing my family pretty uh, very much. I remember missing, just reflecting on some peaceful times, we'll call them, those normal experiences that we get to have. And it broke me. And I was just like, all right, I can't do this anymore. So I went out and I bought a couple of Suboxins. I did my recovery without any type of facility. For me, it was more of a fear of having that on my medical records. That drove me to going outside of any type of medically assisted treatment center or rehabilitation facility. So I bought me two strips of Suboxins and I cut them into quarters and I planned out my, my recovery. This was a... Uh, yeah, June of 2012. I called my father and I let him know like, hey man, I'm, I'm trying to get clean. I, I don't have a place to stay. And he said, all right, son, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do it, then you can come stay at my house, but uh, you can't use heroin. Can't bring that into my house. I'm a very high functioning addict. So I was able to keep a job somewhat. I wouldn't actually work, but I could keep a job for a couple of weeks and then move on to the next one. So we had come to the agreement that I could stay with him. As long as I wasn't using heroin and going around those individuals that I was using with. My dad welcomed me back into the house. And from there, I started to work on my recovery. I remember that I, I had these Suboxone strips. And for me, Chris, I, I'm a firm believer in a higher power. And that's when I started reaching out to my higher power. At that point, I started to see a little bit. Not, I did see a little bit. I started to feel a lot more courage to get done what needed to get done. And again, that wasn't the end of the story, though. Unfortunately, I stopped uh, using heroin. For sure. We have to admit that we have a problem ourselves. Yeah, that's the big one, man. That's the big one, that we cannot fix it on our own. And I think that's what a lot of people have to come to the realization of. But it takes a while. You know? <laughs> I started when I was 14, and I stopped drinking when I was 27. That's good 13 years. Heroin didn't tell me, oh, you're an addict. I I was just like, oh, it's just the drug. It's not a problem with me. And then I found myself in the same circle with uh, alcohol, again, homeless, living out of my truck. Nobody wanted me around. And at that point, I couldn't falsify it anymore. I had to come to the realization that, oh, I can't just have a drink. I can't live with these social norms that everybody else lives in because I have something that needs to be addressed. And it was about that time that I really started to rely on my higher power rather than myself and found strength in that and found courage in that and found uh, what I like to call a soul hug out of it. And it was just like that warm embrace of, hey, I, I got your back. It's nice to know that. No, most definitely, man. And, and I love that you say that. That higher power is key for me, you know, whether you believe in God, whatever it is, there's a higher power out there for myself. And I believe someone's always watching over me, whether it's one of my past relatives. For me, my higher power is my kids. Like 
They, they keep me going every day. My higher power, that and my partner, she stuck through me through thick and th even at my worst times, she was always there for me to pick me back up. And I'm truly grateful for all that. When I can come home and see a smile on her face every day, she's proud of what I've yeah. done today. And it's just grateful to have all this family support back in my life. You, everyone, you should reach out though. If you're feeling yeah. down or out, write those thoughts down. Don't go to bed feeling hurt and down and stuff like that. I, I strongly encourage people to reach out like Nico's done and things do get better one day at a time. They do. And the other part is, uh, we have to be able to accept that help. Chris, I think that's the other one. We can express it, but we also have to be able to accept it because for a lot of us, you know, we think that nobody knows and nobody can solve these problems. When unfortunately the reality is that there's been others that have dealt with the same thing that you're probably dealing with. So there are ways to, to work through that with groups and many resources out there. So what are three types or three things you do for your mental health on a daily basis uh, to, through the day? I'm a firm believer in self-care. I love it. I love it. So on a daily basis, uh, before we started recording, I was telling you, I just finished my morning routine and my morning routine uh, is what really keeps me on point for approaching a day because the day throws a lot of, a lot of different things at us. So my morning routine, I get up, I'll I make my bed. That's the first thing that I do just to make sure I get one little win before anything starts. Slam a glass of water because our body needs that. It's like oil to a, to a vehicle. And then I sit down and I have my quiet time. I do some reading and I like to read something, what people call spiritual, something people call applicable, and then something just fun. So I read through about three different things in the morning um, just to fill my mind with some positives, some affirmations. I have about four or five different affirmations that I speak over myself in the morning, just to get, make sure that my mental, my self-talk is in a good place. After that, I hit a quick workout, usually something about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, just to get the blood flowing, get everything uh, working. After my mental time, my spiritual time and my physical time, those are what I like to address in the morning, I hit the day. And for me, another part of my self-care is making sure I know and have an outline of what needs to get done that day. So for instance, the podcast was on this morning. I'll be able to go check that off after this and then I'll work my way down my list of what needs to get accomplished today. That portion I found really helpful for myself because I enjoy wiping things off my list. I enjoy seeing a list in the morning and coming back in the evening and being able to knock all of them off. I find that very helpful for my self-care. That's usually how I approach each day when I'm really feeling that and it's something you should be proud of too, getting through that list. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I like to chalk up the wins. I like to focus on the little things that are done because for me, and I think a lot of individuals that struggle with mental health, we tend to focus on things that we didn't do wrong or we didn't do right, that we did wrong and we dwell on those. That eats us away. That eats us away. So I like to focus on my wins. No, you should focus on your wins. And congratulations on how far you have nice. come, Nico. You today, you do lots of speaking from what I understand and stuff like that. And you speak to other groups on your experiences and strengths and yeah, hope yes. and stuff like that. Um, so here in the United States, they have what's called uh, peer supports. So I'm not sure. Do you guys have the same type of, I guess, entities up there in Canada? Yeah, we have lots of peer support groups and different types of groups you can go to. And it's great to take advantage of those free resources in the community. I, I take advantage of what I can. One of my free resources I like to go to is the library. There's so many yes, great sir. books to get to. Yes, sir. Yes, they're sir. free. So yeah, I do like to speak. When I stopped drinking, I was in an environment that uh, 
wasn't conducive to sober living. My work environment, that is, the employer that I have, they don't drug test. They have an, a model where you're an adult, you should be able to deal with your stress on your own. It's not always dealt with in the most positive ways. So when I found myself at work, I was sitting in the middle of somebody who was gowed out, nodding off on the right side of me from heroin. On the left side of me, I'm smelling liquor and I could see the little miniatures in the purse. And I'm sitting there, okay, this, I'm sober, clean, but I still feel a little bit emptiness inside. I should be, I, sh you know, I want to help these people. That's when I got started in speaking. I learned how, I learned that my niche was working with individuals who are thinking changing and for the better, changing for the sober lifestyle. I love to engage these rehabilitation groups. So I work with a couple here in New Mexico. One of them that I really have a passion for working for is, is a youth uh, rehabilitation place. It's for young adults, 14 to 25. And I go there, I speak on topics, recovery-based topics. I use the social media platforms to deliver different topics on uh, roadblocks that I've had to face myself, situations that I've come across when helping others, and just use it to encourage. I like to talk, Chris. I really enjoy it. I feel like it's one of my gifts to be able to communicate, listen, and speak to individuals in a way that they understand passion for speaking on recovery and encouraging individuals to attempt sober living and motivating them through developing the disciplines that sober living does require. I opened up my business, it's called No Halo Speaking, October of 2019, right before the pandemic hit. And No Halo Speaking, I came up with that because where I'm from, everybody loves to say that their child's an angel. My child's an angel. They would never do that, Chris. My child's an angel. That, that never happened to them. So I took on the approach of No Halo because we're not angels. I'm sorry, I'm not. And my personal beliefs is that I wasn't created to be an angel either. I love the topic of No Halo. I love that brand because it really advocates for, yes, we're not supposed to be perfect beings. Yes, everybody has issues. Let's acknowledge them, let's talk about them, and let's encourage others because I think that's an area that is lacked so much. When people hear mental trauma or they hear mental health issues or substance abuse, addiction, a lot of people will feel like those are moral shortcomings, right? They don't feel like they're actually issues. So I love being able to be the face and talk about it because I'm sure that you've had the experience. I'm sure that listeners have had the experience. But when you say you're in recovery or you say you're an addict, People looked down and I got tired of seeing that. And so I said, no, I'll, I'll be the face that takes on it for New Mexico and let's get to work. So yes, I love to speak. I do speaking engagements, deliver free content on the socials. And I wrote a book, actually. The book is called Five Things to Know Before You Get Sober. And it's an effort to help individuals maybe get some insights into, into recovery. Because it's a daunting thing. Thinking about recovery used to give me anxiety. Thinking about... Where can they find uh, that book of yours? Places. A website, it can be found, nohalonm.com. It's also uh, available on Amazon as well. That's amazing. And where can they find you on your social media? And if they want to ever book you for a speaking engagement, do you do online ones as well? Uh, yes, sir. sir this so one good thing that came out of the pandemic, I believe, is the engagement that so many people have now been able to do. Look at us. Uh, we're on. We're chopping it up from Canada to New Mexico uh, using the internet. So yes, I do online engagements. I do in-person engagements if it is acceptable. Those, my socials are no underscore halo nm. Uh, that's on Facebook and Instagram. And then it's no halo nm at gmail.com. There's a couple different links on the websites and inside of the socials to to get a hold of me and get that. But really, Chris, I, I love talking recovery. I love speaking on it, man. It's, it's a great topic that has brought me so much joy. 
No, I appreciate that you say those things too. I feel this stigma around mental health and addictions. I want to make people afraid not to talk about it. And I love that we're talking about it today. Yeah, me too. Me too. When I saw that was your uh, directive on your podcast, I loved it because, yeah, uh, like, like you had mentioned, we need to make it something uh, to be afraid not to talk about. We can try to align it with other issues, but I think that it's its own and it needs to have its standalone approach. Not that there's one way to deal with it. It needs to be a topic that isn't so scarce to find individuals who are willing to communicate about it. That's one thing that I, I love about at least the community that I'm in. Uh, Albuquerque has a Celebrate Recovery Festival for September. And it's really all the resources and the modalities we get together. And we just celebrate individuals who are starting recovery, individuals who are in long-term recovery success stories. And it really brings a community engagement because it, it used to be held in the center of, uh, center of the city. This past year it was done online, still got some good engagement, but it's those type of events that really bring the awareness and remove that, that dark cloud over these topics. Yeah, we got to make people, like you said, afraid. There's so many good engagements too. And I want to see more and more as the days go on. Like, I love that we can talk face yeah. to face over the internet today, 20 years ago, we wouldn't be doing this. We'd have to meet in person to do those types of things. So I'm truly grateful for the technology we have today. And we're able to do this show and especially men. I find men are the ones that have more issues in today's society. They're the ones that put down, suck it up, that kind of shit. I hate hearing that suck it up shit, you know? Like I, I made a quote post not too long ago on Instagram. I hate when people tell me to suck it up. So I feel like telling them to break their legs and try yeah. to walk it off. I agree with you, Chris. And I love that you called that out because as men, there is an additional stigma on top of that, right? From my cultural experiences and just my upbringing. It's not bad. Don't get me wrong. But I was raised when I talked about my trauma as a young adult, I, I was told by some individuals, yeah. So what, and that is what really shocked me. I was like, wait, this isn't just life. If you guys have had to deal with this type of stuff, then we got to break this barrier of I'm too masculine to talk about what actually hurts me. I'm too egotistical to involve my emotions. I'll stop all of that, man. And I'll tell you what, Chris, it's freeing whenever you can do that. When you could sit uh, down with another man and have a conversation about something that you both may be vulnerable about and expose the sides that we don't normally expose to the rest of society. I think that's, it's wonderful. And I think that it needs to happen more. No, I appreciate your outtake on that. So if there's anything anyone can take away from the show, we need to start speaking up more as men as a whole and putting the word out there about mental health. Don't be afraid to talk about what's going on in your head or your life. Don't be afraid. Don't worry that you're an addict. I'll be a recovering addict the rest of my life. It's okay to be an addict, a recovering addict, sorry, from my own experience and stuff like that. If you fall, pick yourself back up and it's okay. We'll, I'll, I'll welcome you back and open with open arms. That's what I love about the recovery community. People have slips and falls all the time, but I'll give them a hug right when they get back when yeah, and that's the cool part. You know, that welcomingness of, hey, we, we do mess up. <laughs> we are, we, we have errors, we have flaws, but that, that welcoming of, yeah, let's start it back up. We got your back. Let me come alongside you. Let me help you out. However you need that help is such a wonderful thing about the recovery community. The, for sure. And for everyone listening too, if you are hurting, pick up that phone. Yes. You get phone numbers for a reason. Yes. Yes. You're not alone and it's never too late. Your problem is never too, I know I've told myself that one. Oh, I can't bother this person. They don't want to hear about that. 
don't trick yourself out of accepting help. Really, we have two dogs inside of us is the way that I like to think about it. And the dogs, you're going to, the one that's going to help you out the most is the one that you're going to feed. So if you're feeding the negative thoughts, if you're feeding that victim mind frame, then you're going to stay there. If you're feeding the thoughts of, yes, I need help. Yes, asking for help is okay. Yes, being in community with other individuals who struggle like me is great. Ah, that's when that's when you start to win. That's when you start to win. And that's when we see successes in our communities that have a ripple effect. Because one thing I will let you know, Chris, is that by you doing your podcast, I'm sure that there's plenty of other individuals who have had encouragement, right? So it's a ripple effect uh, by your movements and by your actions, you've been able to help others. So I want to encourage anybody that's listening that might have that little doubt in their mind that I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm worthy of doing it. It's pretty much what it comes down to. And I want to let you know you are. You have something that you can only bring to this world. Uh, you were made uniquely and uh, specifically for a purpose. And this world needs it. We need it. We need you around. So please, let's go ahead and get out of that depths of darkness and let's get into some lights of success and let's cause this ripple effect to repeat itself so we can have more individuals discussing these topics that plague so many of our families. Well said, Nico. Well said. Yeah. Like he said, guys, anyone out there struggling today with your mental health or addictions, just knows you are worth it. So I want to ask you this. What keeps you interested in your goals and dreams, Nico? I think uh, it's a twofold on that one, Chris. I have a small amount of still being around remorse. I've seen a lot of individuals who have passed away because of substance use, addictions, overdoses, drug-related crimes, um, drug-related violence. So a small part of it is uh, I was uh, spared from the overall outcomes that probably should have I should have experienced. So I must use that now. I must use this opportunity and not let it go to waste. And so for me, a lot of it is doing it so that other people don't have to feel the pain that I've had to feel. The second part of Chris is, yeah, this is... We all have what we call purposes. Some people call it energy. Some people call it different things. For me, what I have identified is I, one, love to help people. That's just something that's been embedded in me. Two, I don't like to see people struggle uh, with things that I can help out with. And three, it's time. It really is time. Uh, growing up my whole life, you know, I watch in society people get ignored because they have these mental health issues because they have these substance use problems, these addictions. And I feel like there needs to be a voice that stands up. So for me, what keeps me going is one, I love these type of engagements. I love interacting with other individuals who are like mine. So I get to do that in this type of work. Two, uh, one in three families where I live currently have I'm sorry, one in three individuals have a family member that's uh, strung out on something. So predominantly, it's a huge problem where I'm from. Because it's such a huge problem, somebody needs to spearhead that. And I believe that the cookie cutter approaches need to be squashed. And we really need to approach uh, recovery on an individual, holistic kind of mode. And that's what drives me is because I love being able to help fellow human being find what works for them. Because recovery isn't one path for all. It isn't a, here's the formula. You just plug it in and work it. That's not how it works. Everybody comes from a different trauma. Everybody comes from a different situation. Everybody has their own life experiences where certain modalities may not be uh, something. And I get that. And what I love about at least the role and what, with No Halo, what I get to do is I get to brand sober living in a way that is not cookie cutter. 
I get to show individuals and guide them so that they become the hero in their own story because that's what it ultimately is, creating heroes of these individuals who are living the lives uh, that they need to be the hero in. So those are about three things that keep me going. It's just a joy getting to speak with like-minded people, fulfillment that I get when I get to help others overcome roadblocks and get past struggles, and then joy that I get to see when they finally fulfill their purpose or when they finally get it in their head and they're walking on their own two feet. For me, that's just so encouraging and that's what keeps me going. That's amazing. That's nice to hear that you love to give back what was so freely given to you. And that's one of the reasons I started this podcast because I get to talk, like you said, like-minded individuals or people that have a story to tell as well. And I love to see that they've, you know, come from the front, come from nothing basically and made something out of their lives. Now it's, it can be done people. It really can be done. I was on a path to nowhere for a long time. And here I am today, just, I feel making, you know, the world a better place myself one day at a time. Even if one person hears this story or this episode today and gets something out of it, it's a win-win yeah. for me. Yeah, and I think that's the cool part about it. It's so wonderful to be able to give back, like you said, from coming on that path. I'll tell you what. Chris, uh, for me, it's something new. I don't know if you have this experience at all, but I'm coming up on, in June, it'll be nine years done from heroin. And sometimes I feel like I'm still that 22-year-old young man with that thought process just because of the limit I put on my brain's growth by the amount of substances I was putting into my body. But how, how we present ourselves now and where we're at, it can be done. And I think that's the cool part that you claimed. I was living in my truck, sleeping, uh, in my truck, in Walmart parking lots, shooting heroin. But now I can be considered a business owner and an author. Like for me, that's so wild. And so it can be done. And I would encourage you to make the dreams that you're shooting for so large that nobody has ever done it and that you, you haven't ever done it. Make it imaginable, your dream, that that it brings you just that, that empowerment to try to accomplish it. I didn't ever want to really be an author. It's just something that I saw and an avenue that I knew that I could give back to because I can't go and talk to every person, but I can give out a book every time that I see somebody. I can drop that book off with facilities. I can provide it to different intervention programs. I think that what you just said right there is don't limit yourself is huge. And that yes, you may be on a path of nowhere now, but your choices can redirect that path for you for sure. Yeah, no, great points you hit on there, man. And it's awesome. Like you didn't see yourself being an author, but you saw the light at the end of the tunnel and saw you could help people with what you were writing down. So it's amazing that you put it into a book and it's out there. So go get this book of his guys, so guys and gals. It, it, it will help you. It sounds like I'd love to get myself, uh, my hands on one as, at some point as well. But thank you so much again for coming on the show, Nico. Before we go, you want to plug in your socials and let them know where they can yeah, find you again? So again, thank you for allowing me on your platform today, sir. I can be found on Instagram and Facebook at no underscore halo. My website is nohalonm.com. Uh, love having conversations. So if you guys do just want to chop it up with somebody, shoot me a message. I love encouraging other individuals because, again, I just want to remind you, you are worth it. You have something to give to this world and we need it. So please start the path out of nowhere. Thanks again, man. Hope you have a great rest of your day.